You might remember the very powerful Oscar-winning movie, 12 Years a Slave. If you haven't seen it, you really should. It's incredible. It's the story of Solomon Northup. He was a free black man living in Saratoga Springs with his wife and two children in the 1850s. And he was kidnapped and sold into slavery. Northup's real-life story is terrifying and haunting. And there's another side to it. His wife, Anne Hampton's perspective, left alone with the two kids here in the North Country, desperate to find her husband. A researcher is unearthing her side of the story. That's today's Story of the Day. Support for Story of the Day comes from the St. Lawrence County Community Development Program, now accepting applications for the Head Start program to prepare children ages 3 to 5 for school, online at slccdp.org slash head dash start. Hey, I'm David Summerstein. It's Tuesday, February 27th. First up, Democrats in the New York State Legislature rejected new congressional district maps yesterday. The maps were drawn by a bipartisan redistricting commission. As Karen DeWitt reports, Democrats are now opting to draw their own maps instead. Democrats rejected the maps. I-17, nays 40. The bill is defeated. The maps were approved 9-1 to by the Bipartisan Independent Redistricting Commission back on February 15th. They left largely intact the maps drawn two years ago by a court-appointed special master. Those maps are believed to have contributed to four congressional seats in New York flipping from Democrat to Republican in 2022, resulting in the GOP's narrow hold on the U.S. House of Representatives. But Deputy Senate Majority Leader Mike Giannetti says that's not why the Democrats voted down the maps. There are a number of constitutional defects uh, in the lines. If you look at it, they clearly um, engaged in incumbent protection, which is prohibited by the Constitution. Uh, It was actually bipartisan incumbent protection, which is interesting, uh, which explains how they got out of there with bipartisan uh, support. There are numerous county cuts, which uh, are also uh, prohibited by the Constitution. There are communities of interest that are not uh, properly reflected in the lines. So there's plenty of of defects. Party Party Republicans who backed the commission's maps objected. Senator George Borrello says the Democrats' decision to draw their own maps undermines the will of the voters. They passed a constitutional amendment in 2014 that set up the bipartisan commission to draw new lines. Because the reality is we don't really care what the people think. We care what the political outcome is at the end. And that's what this is about. It's taking it away from the people, taking away the choices that they made. Next, the Democrats will once again draw their own congressional district maps. Senator Gianaris denies that the new maps, which are still being worked out, will benefit Democrats more than the commission's maps. He says that's illegal under the state's constitution. At the end of the day, if we come up with a map that respects communities of interest, um, deals with keeping uh, uh, political boundaries uh, intact, Um, and uh, deals with some of the issues that we think are flawed in the map that was presented to us, hopefully the courts will agree. They will have to act quickly. Petitioning for federal, state, and local primary elections begins Tuesday. Giannara says instead of postponing the start of petitioning, the legislature will likely move to require fewer total signatures to qualify for the ballot. He says he hopes the new lines can be in place by the end of the week. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt for the New York Public News Network.
There's been an effort in recent years to reframe our nation's history, to recognize and honor the critical role that black people have played since they first arrived on American soil in 1619. Adirondack historian Connor Williams has been part of that push, refocusing the narrative of American history to highlight black stories. One of the people he's researching right now is Anne Hampton Northup, the wife of the man depicted in the movie 12 Years a Slave. She was born in Hudson Falls and later worked in Saratoga Springs, and little had been known about her. Williams spoke with our Adirondack reporter Emily Russell about his research on Anne Hampton, who is also the focus of an upcoming lecture in Westport in mid-March. She was born free, which is very important, in upstate New York, in Washington County, actually, in the 1810s. And she grew up largely apprenticing in kitchens around Saratoga Springs area. She had two, three, actually, excuse me, children, and her husband was all of a sudden gone. He was able to get a message back early in his captivity and his enslavement, uh, letting them know that he was alive. And that gave her some hope and determination to keep going, but keeping her family fed, growing, educated on a single woman's paycheck while her husband was vanished is really an inspiring story. What remains of of her story? Like, how do you, how do we know today what her life was like back then and what records are there of her, her life? Uh, there are very few, and I'm still doing research into those records. I'm hoping to find more. The census can be an incredible help. It's, it's a, almost a, a trite phrase that historians start with the census, but that tells you so much about someone, where they were, and she shows up in many of the census years from this era, uh, either with Solomon or without him when he's been enslaved. So you start with the census, and then you think about what she did. And we know she was a a cook and a highly sought-after cook, especially in summer resort towns. And from that, we don't have any records of exactly the United States Tavern where she worked. And to be able to know, that's a tavern in Saratoga Springs, by the way, but a way to know exactly what she was doing on a daily basis. And then we also know about the allies that did help keep finding Ann Northup work. She did move down to New York City uh, because she needed more consistent work, and how she was able to parlay, if you will, early abolitionist and communities of free people of color into mutual support. There is no unemployment, no welfare. There's certainly not a fund for people whose husbands have been kidnapped and uh, enslaved. But she was able to use those casual connections with other free people of color, with uh, other abolitionists, with other allies to forge some sort of a secure path for her family. How common is it that stories of of free black women like Anne Hampton Northup are kind of written out of history, that we focus so much on on the men and their experiences? We as Americans want to see our history as a redemptive one and as one that's always leading towards some predetermined outcome. But a much more accurate grappling with the past makes us realize how many Americans have had to face far greater challenges, not from abroad or from adversity, but from their own culture. And I think that women's history, especially black women's history, too often is a tragedy without a happy ending. 
for women who weren't fortunate enough to live to see the Voting Rights Act or the 19th Amendment or any of the other milestones, uh, they lived and died in a nation that was only partially for them. And so I think that that can make people uncomfortable about their history. There, there's no easy way to tell the story of even someone like Harriet Tubman or Sojourner Truth who made these incredibly aspirational acts but still died in a country where they couldn't vote. Why do you think it's important to share stories like Anne Hampton Northups and, and others um, with the work you do? Absolutely. There's a old saying by a French historian named Ernst Renan from 1882 actually – but he said something very close to nations are defined as much by what they forget as what they remember. The idea being that to make a national myth, to make a, a national story, you have to forget so many things that don't fit into that. But to make a people strong, I think you have to remember the diversity of our past. And that's why I think stories like Anne Hampton's are so important to tell because they don't fit into a all good, all progressive arc of history. She actually, she passed at work, it seems like. She was still working the day she died. And by losing her husband suddenly for, for 12 years, she faced a society that was not designed to accommodate her in any way besides as a, uh, a victim and a, a charity case. And how she navigated that is really important. So it, it's a way of, I think, making us a, a much stronger society by examining some of what we've forgotten as opposed to just retelling the things we want to remember. That was Adirondack historian Connor Williams speaking with Emily Russell. You can hear Williams' lecture on Anne Hampton Northup at the library in Westport on March 19th. We have more news all the time on our website, ncpr.org. Music today by Eddie Lawrence of Moira and Patricia Julian of Burlington. I'm David Summerstein, North Country Public Radio.